RadioInfluence.com. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. Hey, good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. Of course, I'm your host, Vincent Hill, and today is Tuesday, May the 1st, 2018. Can you believe it? It is already May. And I got to tell you, I'm here in Atlanta. It's starting to be hot Atlanta. Today it was about 88 degrees. The weatherman said it was going to be 80, but we got an extra 8 degrees. But, you know, like the old saying goes, be careful what you wish for. You just may get it. A couple of weeks ago, everyone here in Atlanta was saying, man, this is supposed to be spring. Why are we still wearing sweaters? Why are we still wearing jackets? But I think today we skipped spring and we dipped right into the heart of summer with this heat. And I think it's supposed to be like that the entire week. Um, But, hey, you know, I'm fine with it because I like to go run Stone Mountain. I like to get out and do hikes and things of that nature. So I'm totally fine, you know, with this weather. Uh, I was up in New York this past weekend, Friday through Sunday. Um, Had some things going on up there. Friday, I had a big production meeting, which went really well. Uh, Then I was on uh, the Law and Crime Network in studio for about three hours. That's uh, owned by Dan Abrams, the guy that does live PD. So that was pretty hot. Saturday, my episode of 48 Hours actually aired on CBS. So I had a little viewing party at the producer's house. Now, when I say my episode, of course, it wasn't about me. They actually had me on as a uh, a piece in the story. Uh, and it's about the Tex MacGyver trial, the attorney who shot his wife uh, here in Atlanta in the back. He said it was an accident. Uh, I also covered that for Law and Crime Network for several weeks at the courthouse. Uh, so, you know, it was really cool. A lifelong, I won't say lifelong, but a long time goal of mine was to appear on 48 Hours. And this past Saturday, that finally happened. So I'm great, very grateful and very thankful for that opportunity. Then Sunday, I flew back to Atlanta. It was my son's birthday on the 29th. He turned 17. And uh, man, you know, that that saying that time waits for no one. You know, I, I can't believe he's 17. Next year, he'll be flying the cuckoo's nest, so to speak. I'll be an empty nester, as they call it. Uh, But man, 17 years old, time has flown by. I can remember when he was born. He was born with a clep lip and palate, so he had several surgeries while he was a baby, while he was a toddler, up until the time he was about 11 years old. Uh, But thankfully, that's all behind us. And, you know, as I look at him every day, when I look at him and I talk to him, I realized I used to call him my mini me. Well, you know, I'm six one. I think he's about six two now. So I can't call him my mini me. But every time I look at him and I talk to him, I realize he's becoming more and more of a man every day. And I got to tell you, there is nothing more fulfilling for a man, for a father to be able to pass on his legacy, pass on his name and to raise a young boy into manhood and You know, I don't do this often, but I got to thank his mother for allowing him to stay with me for these last few years through high school. She didn't have to do it, but she unselfishly did it. And, you know, I got to thank her for that because, you know, I'm able to actually be responsible for the type of man he becomes. And, 
you know, you you can't ask for anything more than that. You know, there's nothing more fulfilling than that. I can do whatever show, I can do whatever appearance, but there's nothing more fulfilling for a man than to be able to raise his son and be able to raise his son right. But uh, I'm actually back in New York. Oh, boy, when am I going back up there? Thursday. Yeah, Thursday, day after tomorrow. I fly back to New York uh, Thursday morning, but I'm flying right back Thursday evening. I got one more production meeting. Then we're about to start filming something really big that's going to air next year. Um, but we're having all these post or these pre-production meetings. Uh, so Thursday, I'm back in New York, but I fly right back. I got to tell you this back and forth is getting old. Uh, you know, my plan is to eventually be in New York full time. I don't know if I'm going to wait until my son graduates or if, you know, I want to have that conversation with his mom to say, hey, I want to take him to New York. I don't know how she'll feel about that. Um, but she knows, you know, he'll be in good hands regardless. So uh, enough about me. There's two things I want to touch on today. Uh, one is the uh, commissioner of Baltimore, Daryl DeSoso. And uh, then I want to shoot over to Sarlin, Alabama. And you may have heard this story that happened at a Waffle House. And I've seen the headlines like, now you can't be black and eating Waffle House. And I'm a victim of racial profiling. I'm a victim of this. But as you all know, things aren't always what you see on a uh, cell phone video from these sidewalk cops and these sidewalk attorneys. Uh, so I want to talk about an incident that happened in Sarlin, Alabama. The police chief is standing behind his officers who, yeah, happen to be white. I don't know the demographics of Sarlin, Alabama. Uh, I don't know how many black police officers they have. But again, as I always say, you don't get your pick of what color the police officer is that shows up to the call. Police get a call. They send the closest officers. That's how it works. But first, let me talk about uh, Baltimore and uh, this commissioner, uh, Daryl DeSoso. And he, he's new. As you know, the previous commissioner was let go after the whole Freddie Gray thing. Even though those officers were acquitted, he was let go because, you know, crime was still rising. Well, quite frankly, it's still rising in Baltimore. But apparently about a week ago, uh, well, actually longer than that now, there was it was back on the 18th. There was a hip-hop concert uh, featuring Eric B. and Rakim. And, you know, I grew up on Eric B. and Rakim. I'm 45 years old, so that would tell you how long ago these guys have been in the business. When I say I grew up on them, I was in my teens when these guys were putting out hits. So anybody that knows about hip-hop knows the history of hip-hop. They know Eric B. and Rakim. So anyway, there was this concert going on. This uh, I don't know what kind of concert it was. But uh, uh, the commissioner decides to get up. Now, this is a black commissioner decides to get up and say he wants to apologize for the way police have treated the black community for the last 200 years. And I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to listen to this and then I will talk about it. Oh, my God. 
See, just in case you thought I was telling a story, this was the, the police commissioner of Baltimore, Daryl DeSoso, telling this crowd of hip-hop goers that he apologizes for the treatment of black people by police for the last 200 years. And I don't know if you can hear it, but there were a lot of FUs. There were a lot of BSs. If you watch the video, there's people throwing up the middle finger, and that's likely because they don't like police. I'm throwing up the middle finger because you just slapped all your officers in the face by saying this. Now, if you want to talk about 200 years ago and you want to talk about the civil rights movement, was there racism during the civil rights movement? Obviously, that's why it's called the civil rights movement. Was there racism 200 years ago? Obviously, it was 200 years ago. Is there racism in 2018? Yes, there will be racism 300 years from now. We cannot change that. But to sit and apologize to say that police historically have treated black people unfairly up until the 2000s. That's what he said. And he said up until now where there's been zero tolerance. That is bullshit. Because when you're in a city like Baltimore, which again has a very, very small square mile radius and your demographic is 98% African-American, and that very small demographic, very small square mile radius commits crime, robberies, murders, drug dealings, rapes, burglaries, car break-ins, and police have to respond to that. Is that unfair treatment that is still tied to something 200 years ago? Or, or... Because let's be honest, the crime rate in the black community 200 years ago didn't exist for obvious reasons, right? The crime rate during the civil rights era in the black community wasn't as high for obvious reasons, right? But this is 2018. There's no oppressor. There's no massa. There's no slavery. There's none of this. There's nothing that says you can't have an opportunity to excel and be what you want to be. But yet the black community in Baltimore, which is Democratic ran by, mind you. But anyway, I digress. The black community in cities like Baltimore and St. Louis and Chicago still want to do crimes, but they still want to be a victim. Yes, victim with an F, a fake victim. They still want to blame everything on everyone except for the person they need to blame it on. So for this commissioner to say, oh, I apologize for how we've treated you for the last 200 years and change is coming. What change? What change? And I don't know if this was a political ploy because eventually he plans to run for mayor or something. That's the only thing I can think of because me, A, as a black man and B, as an officer, and I, I'm a black man and I've been an officer, I'm not going to stand up in a crowd of people to say, oh, I apologize for how we treated you. There's going to be change coming. I would say, well, what we need to do is reduce the crimes in the neighborhoods that you live in. And my job and my officer's jobs or to make sure that that crime is reduced. That's what we do. We fight Crime. So as long as you are committing crime, you will see my officers, whether you're black, 
white, Hispanic, whatever. But dang it, people. A very small area with 95 to 98 percent African-American population. There's a crime every other square mile. What do you think's going to happen? Why is this the police's fault? Why is this dating back 200 years? Now, again, I'm not blind. I'm not stupid. I'm a black man. I'm 45 years old. Have I experienced racism? Yes. Have I experienced profiling by police? Yes. 35 years ago. Yes. 30 years ago. Yes. Does it happen? Probably. But we can't say everything is just because, oh, it's just because you're black. It's just because you're black that police are treating you this way. And I'm going to apologize. And I, your black commissioner, is now going to fix it. I'd really like to know how DeSoso is going to fix it, how he's going to make this change. Now, of course, the Fraternal Order of Police there in Baltimore uh, doesn't believe that the apology was appropriate. I wonder why that is. I'm going to read a quote from uh, Gene Ryan, who's the president of the FOP Lodge Number 3 there in Baltimore. Uh, Law enforcement was created to protect and serve the citizens despite race, and that is what we strive to do daily. Hmm. Are we perfect? No, of course not. But as a profession, we work very hard to care for all our citizens. And that's from Gene Ryan, the president of the FOP, Fraternal Order of Police, there in Baltimore. And it's like I said, are police perfect? The things happen 45, 50, 60 years ago simply because you were black? Absolutely. Nobody is disputing that. But that is not the world we live in today. Unless you watch certain mainstream media that will tell you, oh, this is the world we live in today. And yes, they only do this in the black community. You know, when I was in New York, I was watching the local news, which I rarely do. And while I was there those three days, I heard of a, four police shootings, four police shootings in the outskirts of New York City, and the individual was white. One was a mom who came out with a knife at police. The others two, three, I can't remember, but they were white. But when I flipped to CNN, I didn't hear about it. When I flipped to uh, MSNBC, I didn't hear about it. It never made past the local news there in New York. But again, everybody's making themselves a victim. Oh, it's because I'm black. You did this. And this is the only reason you did it, because I'm black. No, it's not. Just like all of those arrests in Baltimore. It wasn't because they're black. It's because they're committing crime. Freddie Gray. It wasn't because he was black. It was because he ran from police. He was a known drug dealer. When police approached, he ran. He had a knife. Had nothing to do with Freddie Gray being black. And they just, oh, let's go get the black guy on the bike over there standing on the wall. No. Police had a history with Freddie Gray. They knew he was a drug dealer. He evaded police 
which is against the law in every state, every state. He evaded police. He was captured. He was armed with a knife. Hmm. And was that because he was black or because he broke the law? I'm going to go with he broke the law. So remember when Freddie Gray got arrested and people protested and rioted and I said that the crime rate was going to go up, which it did. Now (laughs) you have this face, this face, this trophy, this puppet, whatever you want to call him. Commissioner Daryl DeSoso in charge of these officers who you basically said my officers haven't been crap. Now, what do you think these officers are going to do? What do you think they're going to do now? Like, oh, did you really just say that we're really not worth anything, that we're crap and that we just treat black people wrong because we got this badge and this gun and white skin? Oh, oh, okay. All right. Well, you thought the crime was bad. Now, just wait, because we're not going to do anything unless we get called. And we might not do anything then because we don't want someone claiming to be a a victim because we showed up and had to take action because they were cutting a fool and we had to use force. So I don't want to be the next guy on the news. So therefore, Chief uh, Commissioner Daryl DeSoso, I'm not doing anything. Mark my words. Check back with me in three months and watch that crime rate in Baltimore continue continue, continue to skyrocket. All the while, DeSoso has said, change is coming. He's going to change things. What are you going to do? Are you going to get all black officers? Well, that's fine, because if you remember, in the Freddie Gray case, three of those officers were black. One was Hispanic. One was a female black. But guess what? The outcome was the same. He broke the law. They did their job. People rioted. People complained. People burn the city down. So what are you going to do? Get all black officers in the city of Baltimore to say, oh, change is here. So guess what? Those black officers are still sworn to protect and serve. So when a crime happens, they're going after the suspect. When I was in patrol, a crime happened. I went after the suspect. Black, white, whatever. So what change? (laughs) What change is DeSoso talking about for the city of Baltimore and its residents? As it relates to police, I'm curious, but mark my words, check with me in three months and we'll see how these crime stats are. Hey, before I switch over and talk about Sarlin, Alabama, I want to talk about this podcast I came across called The State of Logic. It's a very, very hot podcast that covers a lot of topics in today's top news. Don't take my word for it. Check it out. Do you find that the media often misrepresents police officers? Do you find that there is no fair and balanced approach to discussing issues having to do with the police? Not at the State of Logic podcast. I'm Kevin Van Acker and I've done over 10,000 hours of ride-alongs with the police, specifically so I can talk to you in a fair and balanced manner when it comes to current topics about the police. We talk about all sorts of things. Come check us out, the State of Logic podcast. You know, Waffle House has been in the news, of course, in Nashville. Uh, last week, they had the, the shooting there uh, where uh, four people were shot. 
the suspect was caught after after a uh, two-day manhunt. Um, but we all know Waffle House. You know, if you travel, uh, if you party, and you go to the club late at night, sometimes the only thing open is White Castle and Waffle House. Um, a lot of people go to Waffle House. I love Waffle, Waffle House. My son loves it. Uh, it's not the best food in the world, but, you know, it's a good place to go hang out and eat and, you know, just socialize and typically have a good time. So you may have heard about this. This happened in Alabama. Um, there was a young lady. Uh, let's. Oh, boy. Chakisa. I think I'm saying that right. Chakisa Clemens, uh, who was arrested after she resisted arrest this past Sunday, which, of course, has sparked outcry on social media and the cops are being hailed as racist officers who were overly aggressive. Now, the out this uh, police department has come out in support of their officers saying they acted appropriately. Now, the original statement was that she simply asked for plastic forks, plastic silverware for her food, and she was told they don't have plastic silverware, so she asked to speak to the manager, and then she was told to leave. That was her story. So police arrive. She resists arrest. She is arrested for resisting arrest at the time. But again, the story was, and of course, her friend that was with her videotaped it. And, you know, she's you guys are wrong. You don't have to do that. Why are y'all doing that to her? She didn't do anything. Yada, 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 yada. So now, of course, all Waffle Houses, if you don't know, have surveillance cameras, several surveillance cameras. So, of course, Here's what really went down. The police get a 911 call. Hmm. Imagine that. A 911 call. Hmm. Which means police are going to show up. They get this 911 call that two black females, one black male had entered the restaurant. The two black females appeared to be intoxicated and they had brought in a bottle of liquor, which is against policy anywhere you really go. Really is not BY. OB. It's the Waffle House. So they were asked to leave. And in the surveillance footage, you can see one of the females who wasn't arrested. I don't know why. Stand up. They were actually seated. If you've been in a Waffle House, they were seated at the booth that's directly in front of the cash register. So you could see her standing up and making hand gestures very aggressively to the worker. So the one that was arrested, you know, that had simply asked for the plastic fork and didn't do anything. Um, basically had made some off-the-wall comments like F-U-B, you a hoe, yada, 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 yada. You don't know me up in here, blah, blah, blah. Now, of course, police obtain what they call witness statements. And all of the statements coincide with each other. Now, I've watched a video Several of the patrons in there were African-American. So if this was racial, I think they probably would have lied. I'm just guessing. Uh, anyway, so here's what really went down. So the one that was arrested, uh, Clemens, 
told one of the employees, you ain't got to you ain't going to be here tomorrow. This is a quote directly from the police report. I may have a gun. I may have anything. I can come back up here and shoot this place up if I need to. Ooh. Now, how do we go from, oh, I didn't do nothing. I just asked for a plastic fork. But once witness statements come out and surveillance footage comes out, we actually go to, uh, that's borderline ag assault, terroristic threats, because you said you could come back here and shoot this place up. So let me just run this by you, Ms. Clemens, that anytime someone says that, there's this whole thing about imminent threat. And if you leave and you've just told me that you're going to come back and shoot the place up, I may believe, especially based on how foolish you were acting in my establishment, I may actually believe that you're coming back to shoot the place up. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to call the police. And guess what? Me as a black man, hey, I never leave home without my pistol. You know this. But if I were that worker in their shoes and I'm at work at two in the morning doing my job and someone says, hey, I'm going to come shoot the place up. Mind you, right after a Waffle House in Nashville was shot, this was the very next day, right after a Waffle House in Nashville was shot up, someone comes in your Waffle House and says, I'm going to shoot the place up. What do you think they're going to do? Stupid. They're going to call police. And had you done this one simple thing, when police arrived, there would be no video. Had you stood up, turned around, placed your hands behind your back, like the police said, there would be no video. But before all of this came out, we had another victim, a fake victim that didn't do anything. They were just targeted by police because they were black. And I saw it all online. It's like, you can't even go to a Waffle House anymore if you're black. You can't do this if you're black. You can't do this if you're black. Well, apparently what we can't do if we're black is act right and comply with police because that's what would have kept her from going to jail. Get up and leave. The officer gave her a chance. Get up and leave. No, I'm not doing that. I refuse to leave. I didn't do anything. All I did is ask to speak to the manager, knowing full well you were seen on video cutting a fool but yet, you're lying to the police. I didn't do anything. Y'all don't have to do me like this. Why are y'all doing me like this? I'm not getting up. I'm not putting my hands behind my back. I'm not doing this. Well, let me take it one step further. Let's say those officers, which would have been well within their right, would have used pepper spray or would have tased her. They would have been well within their rights, but yet social media, oh, they're racist Overly aggressive cops. Oh, they weren't half as aggressive as they legally could have been because the only thing they did was take her to the ground, put her hands behind her back, and cuff her. That's the only thing they did. But that's overly aggressive? <laughs> well, I would have loved to see if they would have used pepper spray or aspatine or a taser, and then let's talk about overly aggressive. So, 
The Sarland Police Department defended their officers. They said everything they did was in policy. Uh, if you want to look at more, you can actually go to policeone.com. They have the entire press conference, which uh, not only um, shows the actual cell phone video, but it shows the surveillance video, which shows the officers acted pretty much the way they were supposed to. Even the, the cell phone video shows that the officers not only acted in line with the use of force continuum and policy, but they actually showed great restraint in dealing with her, probably because they were mentally aware that her friend was videotaping this. But if you want to know more, go to policeone.com, uh, search uh, police defend arrest of woman at Atlanta Waffle House, or you can probably just Google that and it will pop up. Watch the press conference, watch the surveillance footage, and decide for yourself. These officers did nothing wrong. All they did was encounter another victim, just like at Starbucks, a fake victim who's trying to use race to get what they want, who's trying to use race to just have a free, I can do whatever the hell I want card, but it doesn't work that way when you're breaking the law. I'm just saying it doesn't work that way. All right, we're at the end of the show, and you know what that means. Uh, if you're a first-time listener, this is my 10-7 segment, which means typically in policing, the end of your duty, the end of your tour. Uh, but when I say 10-7 for the remainder, that means that an officer was killed in the line of duty. And tonight I want to spotlight Officer Jesus Cordova. Uh, New Gallus Police Department, Arizona. His end of watch was Friday, April the 27th, 2018. Police officer Jesus Cordova was shot and killed while attempting to apprehend a carjacking suspect in the 2900 block of North Grand Avenue at approximately 2.45 p.m. The subject had carjacked the vehicle and fled from Santa Cruz County deputies into the other county where he attempted to carjack another vehicle. Officers had responded to the attempted carjacking and located the suspect inside a car. As officers attempted a traffic stop, the man exited the vehicle and opened fire on Officer Cordova, who was still in his vehicle. Officer Cordova was struck multiple times. Officer Cordova was flown to a local hospital where he succumbed to his injuries. The man then fled the scene and carjacked a third vehicle. He was located a short time later and taken into custody. Officer Cordova had served for one year and had previously served with the Santa Cruz County Sheriff's Office for 10 years. He is survived by his three children and expectant fiance. Wow. Three little ones and one on the way. And this officer, Jesus Cordova, is no longer here. Now, if you want to talk about being a victim, he was a victim. He wasn't a victim. He was a victim of this guy who was out doing crimes, out messing up people's lives by carjacking, which means he was armed, obviously, because he shot 
Officer Jesus Cordova. Now, if you want to talk about a true victim, Officer Jesus Cordova was a true victim. But he's also, let's not forget, he's also a hero for having the balls. Yes, I said it. For having the balls to, in spite of danger, go after the bad guy. And that, my friends, is a true hero. I want to thank you for listening. I will see you next week right here, same time, same place, RadioInfluence.com. Good night. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter, at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. I'm Tracy Beans, host of the new podcast, Dark to Light, with Frank and Beans on Radio Influence. It's a new show about politics, but not the way you're used to. What we talk about is actually true. And it's also stuff they don't want you to hear. So we bring it to you weekly. All the intrigue and spin and double talk spelled out for you right. With my co-host Frank's special flavor of commentary. Don't miss him. He's an experience. So join us. Dark to Light with Frank and me, Tracy Beans, drops each Friday on Apple Podcasts. Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.